Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We're a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into this same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and to reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Good morning, everybody. Grateful to be gathered with you, and I'm so thankful for my friends up here helping lead our church in worship this morning. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. We'll be in a couple of different places this morning, but we're going to, sorry, not Matthew 5, Matthew 6. We're going to be starting in Matthew 6 in verse 9 in just a moment, but I want to say happy Mother's Day, and I, I, re- I recognize even saying that Mother's Day can be difficult for some. It can be because of loss or because of a whole number of reasons. But this, this morning, it's, it's good for us to say thanks to our moms, regardless of wherever we find ourselves today, for the many good ways in which God has used them in our lives. So happy Mother's Day, moms. And um, my, my wife is actually out of town today, so we're going to celebrate without mom. It's kind of a, a weird Sunday for us, but we're thankful, uh, thankful for her indeed. Stand with me, please. As we begin, before we read our passage for today, would you join me in this ancient Jewish way of, of saying who God is, and affirming our faith in him. I want to invite you to say the Shema after me this morning, if you would like to make this proclamation. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Our passage this morning is Matthew 6, verse 9. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father and our King, we gather this morning to focus on another portion of this prayer which you taught your disciples to pray. And God, we are thankful that when we pray, you hear us. That you are a Father who cares intimately and personally for every single thing going on in each of our lives. God, thank you for the gift of your word today. Thank you for how it encourages us and how it helps us grow in our faith, for how it guides us into truth. And God, thank you for your Holy Spirit who also guides us into the truth of the Scripture. God, we we are blessed people this morning. And we say thank you. We say thank you. We say blessed are you, O Lord, our God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Together we say amen. Please be seated. Please be seated. 
This morning, we are going to pick up in another phrase of the disciples' prayer. You may know it as the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6. It's also in Luke chapter 11. Um, we are going to be focusing on verse 11 today, but here's, here's something that might be helpful for you as you think through the Lord's Prayer. Um, a scholar by the name of Dwight Pryor uh, has some material on the disciples' prayer that has been incredibly helpful to me as I've grown in understanding this, and he describes the Lord's Prayer as a model prayer in this way. Our Father in heaven talks about our identity. It talks about our identity before God. Both, God is both our Father, <coughs> but part of our identity is that we are His children. May your name be sanctified, is the way he translates that second verse. And, and it talks about responsibility. We have a responsibility to hallow God's name and how we live and the conduct that we have. We either profane his name or we sanctify his name. Now, God is holy regardless of how we act. But when people look at our lives, they say, what does his life or her life tell me about God? All right? So responsibility. May your kingship be established. This has to do with the idea of destiny. We talked about that a little bit last week. Um, may your will be done in heaven and earth. Talks about our priority. Why are we here and why does it matter? What should be the driving force? And that is being about God's will. We'll talk about that a little bit more this morning. Next slide, please, Chad. We come to the second... Um, the second pairing, you, you could break this into two. You could break all those first verses into talking about God and about what does God want, and here's how we're patterning our life after God. In verse 11, we come to the beginning of the us petitions in this prayer. Grant us our sustaining needs this day. Talking about dependency, and that's where we're going to be today. But the next one is, and we'll look at this next week, and forgive us our offenses, for we have forgiven those who have offended us. It talks about the community and the importance of the gathered body in living in right relationship before God. And finally, the last one is, and lead us not into the grasp of the evil inclination, but deliver us from the evil one. That talks about the liberty that we have in Christ. And so we're going to look at that on Memorial Day Sunday. But let's talk for a moment about us. Why us? Why us? It's a plural word, obviously, and there's a Jewish saying, and the Jewish saying goes like this, a man should always join himself with the community in his prayers. Now, that doesn't negate personal prayer, but there's a sense that when we are a follower of the Lord, we're gathered with a community of other followers. And it's really important for us to remember that we are not alone. That, that we are about this same pursuit together with other people. Sometimes it can be really easy to think that, oh, all it is is me here. I am just trying to do this. It's like, no, we, we, we have this interwoven dependency with God, but also with the community for encouragement and for rebuke and for correction and, and, and all these things. In Middle Eastern culture and in the early church, which was predominantly Jewish in those beginning years, the emphasis is placed upon the community aspect. Now, there is a personal accountability, particularly when it comes to sinning against your neighbor, but there's a great sense of interconnectedness within the community. And so, for example, on the Day of Atonement, which occurs in the fall, it's one of the major feasts of Israel, and it's a day in which they come before God and they say, God, forgive us. They say, God, pardon us. God, grant us remission. 
Personal prayers are indeed important, but on one of these high holy days, they're recognizing as a community all the ways in which they have fallen short of what God has called them to live out. And so prayers for forgiveness were communal prayers. So if we are God's people, we must constantly seek his face together. Prayer is perhaps the greatest single unifier of believers because in biblical prayer, we become consumed with God's holiness. We become consumed with his will, and we recognize our dependence upon him for our needs each day. We are going to talk about dependency today. We're going to be talking about that, that first one on the top of your screen there. Grant us our sustaining needs this day. We're talking about dependency. My friend, my friend Kristen this week sent me a, um, a quote that, that she loved, and I absolutely loved it too, and it's this. It's, it's by Daniel Henderson. It's, prayerlessness is my declaration of independence from God. Did you get that? Prayerlessness is my declaration of independence from God. In Western culture, we celebrate independence, and there's good reason for that, but we should never celebrate independence from God, ever. One of the ways that we practice independence from God, though, is by not pursuing God in prayer and being reminded of this great truth that we are dependent upon God for every single thing we need today. Now, there's three ways I want to look at this one verse as a part of our morning. Uh, the first way I want to look at this is through an agricultural context, all right? The, the fact that bread is there talks about something that is living and breathing, something that, not living and breathing, I mean, the, the, the plant was growing at one point in time, but it, it refers to something that is a tangible product that these people lived by each day. There are three primary staples to life in the ancient world, according to one commentator, grain, wine, wine, and oil, all right? Grain, wine, and oil. And the availability of these resources is not a given. It's not a given. We live in a context where we go to the store, we pick up the food we want from the shelf, and sometimes, I don't know if this has ever been you, I go to a store, and I won't name which one, and it's not on the shelf. And I'm like, oh, I just wanted to get that. I need that for a recipe. And it's something sometimes that's very obscure, and I really shouldn't be all that frustrated. And sometimes it's like, milk. You're like, okay, hey, it's not there. How quickly we become frustrated um, when we cannot find the ingredient that we are looking for, and that ingredient may have even come from the other side of the world, which is another incredible thing. The world of Jesus was a largely agrarian world. They had to faithfully work the fields. Excuse me. They had to plant the seed, and they had to harvest at the proper season. I was at a conference last year, and if my memory is correct, I believe they said it takes four people's labor to feed five people in the ancient world. And think about that. That's four people working the fields. That's four people fishing. That's four people taking care of animals in order to feed five people. This is a largely agrarian society where it took a lot of work to have a yield of harvest at the end of the year. And yet, they had great dependence when it came to relying upon there being a harvest. I'll show you some photos this morning. This first photo is farmers plowing the fields near, near Mount Gerizim. All right? There, there's a ton of work that goes into preparing a field, particularly without the modern conveniences of tractors and all that kind of stuff. 
Next slide is farmers gathering sheaves, all right? This is all hand work. You don't have necessarily balers in the way you have them today. You have other ancient practices that take a lot of time and a lot of labor. Even to the point of when you go to make a loaf of bread, you have to grind the grain. Now, some people do this still today, and other people, like myself most of the time, uh, grab a sack of flour that's already pre-ground at the store, which is fantastic. But grinding grain the old-fashioned way is not the most um, time-efficient process. All right? And then lastly, uh, here's a photo that we took uh, when we were in Egypt. Uh, on your, I have to look at it this way, yeah, on your left is some ladies making bread the way that they would ancient, they would do so in ancient times. They toss this thing of bread and then they toss it into the oven. And that's Zoe on the right side. She's, she's one of our students who was on our trip to North Africa, and she's learning the great art of how to balance this loaf of bread and then toss it into the oven. <clears throat> Farming is a job that requires dependence, great dependence. You can do all this work. You can work day in, day out, day in, day out, and at the end of the day, you may or may not have a harvest. Listen to this commentary and talk, talking about the importance of wind. We'll just take wind here for a moment, something that we are dependent upon God from, it says, the north wind during the winter months usually brings the rain. You can look in Proverbs for examples of that. And is beneficial during the first third of the ripening of the wheat and the barley. Yet this same rain would ruin the buds of the olive trees or the grapevines if the buds were already opened. In other words, the right timing of the right kind of wind is really important in, the ancient, in, the, in ancient Israel for the proper harvest. In the case of open buds, the commentary says, the rain would wash away the pollen so the tree or vine would not be pollinated or fertilized. Now the southern wind is good for the pollination process of the olives and the grapes if they come later in the 50 days. If the southern wind comes early, the grain will not fill with starch and the crop will be decimated. The farmer prays to the Lord that the winds would come at the right time. If, however, the winds come at the right time, but the rains come after its season, the grain crop will still be ruined. What does all that mean? It means there's great dependence when it comes to relying upon God for rain and for wind in all the things to make a fruitful harvest a fruitful harvest. Sometimes we take these things for granted. With all the labor that was put into a crop, you still had to rely upon the goodness and the provision of God for every yield of that crop. Another photo for you is the practice of daily making bread in the Near East. Now, every time people would gather for a meal, they would pray a blessing, and they would pray a blessing that would recognize that God is the one who has given this bread to them. And they would start off this way. They'd say, blessed are you, blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. They don't bless the bread. They bless the God who has given them the bread. They recognize through the act of prayer, that this bread is not here by chance, that it took God's gracious provision in order to go from seed, well, from soil to seed, water, grow, harvest. All these things have great balance in them that God had to care for in ways that they could not. And so they'd say, blessed art thou, O Lord our God, who brings forth bread from the earth. Now they had 
a recognition that while they participated in the growing in production of food, God ultimately was the one who provided water, sunshine, and healthy crops. Turn with me for a moment to Deuteronomy chapter 11. We will come back to Matthew 6 in due time. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy 11, verse 8, says this. Now, the the children of Israel are called to love and follow God as they enter into the land. And here's one of the things that God says to them in verse 8. Deuteronomy 11, verse 8. He says, Keep every command I'm giving you today so that you may have the strength to cross into and to possess the land you are to inherit, and so that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them and to their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For, you, for the land you are entering to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated by hand as in a vegetable garden. Sounds easier, yes. But the land you are entering to possess is a land of mountains and valleys. It's watered by rain from the sky. Notice verse 12. It is a land that the Lord your God cares for. He is always watching over it from the beginning to the end of the year. They had great dependence upon God for what they needed in the land, but they also trusted that God cared for the land because he said, I will care for the land. Thus to pray, give us our daily bread, was similar to saying, God, we are wholly dependent upon you. We need your provision for all of life's necessities. God, our lives are in your hands. Give us specifically what we need today whether that's a wind from the south or a wind from the north, whether that's an inch of rain or a half an inch of rain, whether that's a hard rain or a soft rain, God, you know exactly what we need. We trust you to give us just that and no more. All right, so agricultural context. Give us today our daily bread. Now I want to look at the Old Testament context to this. Now there's a couple of different ways we could look at this. We could look at Israel going into the wilderness and how God provided for their every need through manna. That's a great study. I invite you to do that on your own. Exodus 15, Exodus 16 is a great place for you to be if you want to do that. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, But there's a passage in Proverbs that I think Jesus is uh, alluding to in his teaching on the prayer. So would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 30? And we will continue our looking at this prayer. Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30 is written by a a man by the name of Agur, son of Jacob. And it's an oracle. And in verse 7, he goes to what many scholars think is a prayer. It's kind of hard to follow exactly where he transitions certain things in this this chapter. Uh, But but verse 7 and 8 and 9 seem to be a prayer that he is praying to God by, by the nature of how they are written. He says this in uh, in verse 7, and I think Jesus is tapping into this when he's teaching his disciples about prayer. Two things I ask of you, don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. All right, feed me with the food I need. Lechem is the word for food here. It means bread, bread or food. It can be translated either way in Hebrew. Lechem. Can you say lechem? 
Yeah, it's, yeah, that's very good. I, I love Hebrew because of all the guttural stuff. Lechem, food I need. The, way, the other way you could translate um, I need, and I'm not sure how your Bible has it, but in the Hebrew it's the sense of give me my fair portion of food. Give me what is rightly sized for my life today. So here's Agur, and he's saying, God, two things I ask of you. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. In other words, God, ground me in truth. Ground me in the truth of your teaching. And don't give me poverty or wealth. Give me only the lechem, the food, the bread that I need for today. That is my fair portion. Now, I don't know about you. I've, I've sometimes prayed, God, don't give me poverty. <laughs> but I've rarely ever prayed, God, don't give me wealth. I was trying to think. I don't think I have. Why would he pray this prayer? Verse 9, Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? All right, so on the one hand, one of the things that wealth can get in the way of is our dependence upon God. We can look at our bank account, or we can look at our, our, our um, refrigerator, we can look at all the things that we have, and we can forget God. It's really easy to do. It's really easy to do. We could say, God, oh, I don't need you. I have everything I need right here. So that's on the one hand, wealth. On the other hand, he says, don't give me poverty, or I might have nothing and steal. And if I were to steal, I would profane your name. All right, similar language to the disciples' prayer. This idea of food, this idea of profaning or sanctifying God's name. If, if we're profaning God's name, we're certainly not <coughs> sanctifying his name. So wealth and poverty are two sides of a dangerous coin. Now, it doesn't mean that if you are wealthy, you will forget God, and it doesn't mean that if you are poor, you will steal. But it does mean, who be very careful if you're given much, be a good steward of what God has given you. Don't hold on to it tightly. Don't seek your own ends for those resources. Seek God's ends for those resources. See, there's two dangers. Danger one, denying God, which really is making ourselves God. And this is so incredible in today, so incredibly prevalent in today's culture. You may have seen... Um, <clears throat> the bumper sticker, the slogan, he who dies with the most toys wins. I remember that from when I was a kid. He who dies with the most toys wins. And that's a lesson in security. That, that's a lesson in I want what I want. I'm going to get what I'm going to get. And that is going to be the summation of my life. Security is one of those things we often strive for. One of the things I remember about 2009 when we had that bit of recession is a lot of stocks and funds and retirement and investment accounts took a hit. And that affected some more than it affected others. And one of the things that was shaken during that time is the idea of security. One of the things that praying this part of the disciples' prayer just kind of smacks in the face is that your security should never, our security, should never come primarily from our hands. We have responsibility to be faithful, but it's God who is our source of security. The danger number two is stealing to meet my needs and profaning God's name. If we have too little, sometimes, or if we think we have too little, sometimes it is possible for us to, instead of going to God for our needs, to, as they say, take matters into our own hands. 
How can we do this? How can we make more? How can we get ahead in the next thing in life? But doing so can lead to profaning God's name and doing things that are immoral or things that are against the law, things that go against God's character in order to get ahead as we see in life. Let me ask you a question. Where do you see these tendencies in your life? Do you see your resources as having come from the hand of God? Do you faithfully work recognizing and trusting that God is your provider? Are, are, are you likely to give generously? Do you look for opportunities to give generously, to meet the needs of others as the Holy Spirit leads and guides you? Do you clutch and save <coughs> so that you have security? You know, at the baseline, do we serve God with our stuff or do we serve our stuff? I know my own tendencies in my life. My wife is incredibly more generous than I. Very much more generous. That, that was a poorly phrased sentence. She is much more generous than I. One of the things that I learned early on in life is when it comes, and I tell this to couples that we do premarriage counseling with, um, I'll often say to them, you know, as you look at how God would use your resources, be generous. Always seek to be generous. And one of the things my wife and I have done, I'm not saying you have to pick this up, but I'll lay this down for you as, as a, a suggestion maybe. Um, if you struggle with generosity, find ways to practice generosity. My wife is really good at practicing generosity. And so if we say we love to give to that, we always take the higher number. To this day, I have not won that game of like, how much should we give? Oh, oh, I was thinking less. Okay, we'll give your number. <laughs> Seek to be generous in what God has called you to do. Ask God for dependent living in your life. Even if you have wealth, Ask God for dependent living. What does it mean, God, for me to trust you today with exactly what I need? I am not advocating being bad steward. Not at all. Scripture talks a lot about stewardship. Perhaps we'll study that in the coming months or in the coming year together. Be a good steward. Also seek to be generous as God has led you. Never allow stuff to become that which you work for. You work for God. You work for his name. You serve him. <coughs> Jesus says in Matthew 6, close to our passage that we're studying, he talks about, um, where is it? He, he talks about how uh, possessions can get in the way of our relationship with God. He says, don't store up for yourselves tre treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. He goes to continue talking about, <coughs> about money. He says, wherever your, your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In verse 24 of Matthew 6, he says, no one could be a slave of two masters. He will either love the one and hate the other. He'll be devoted to one and he'll despise the other. And he ends by saying this. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. And so when we pray the disciples' prayer, it reminds us, wait, whom do we serve? God, give us today our sufficient need for today. Because God, we recognize that it comes only from your hand. 
This passage is easily understood in practical needs like food, but there's a principle that goes beyond food. There's a principle that goes beyond whether or not you have a loaf of bread on your table, and it goes to what else do we, does God ask us to trust him with? Our spiritual needs, our physical needs, our emotional needs. Turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 11, please. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Luke chapter 11. Now, Luke chapter 11 contains the parallel account of the disciples' prayer. Um, Jesus gives an example right after the, or shortly after this prayer of a neighbor who is held in contempt by the community because he's unwilling to get out of bed to help his neighbor show proper hospitality. After persistent asking, he finally relents and he gives up to get his neighbor food for the unexpected guests. And in verse 9, Jesus says, So I say to you, Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. Verse 10, for everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus then continues using a fishing metaphor from the region of the Galilee. Now, when they would fish in the Galilee, sometimes... In addition to fish, they would catch things like stones or serpents or snakes, which is the same thing as a serpent, or, or, or other things in their nets. It wasn't always fish, which is kind of anticlimactic because you want a fish. Um, but these things would get into the net. Um, <coughs> and so Jesus says in verse 11, he says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. He says in verse 13, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right? So, so he's saying you can, as a good father, know that your son or your daughter needs fish. And you won't give them a serpent because you know that's not what they need. You won't give them a stone because that's certainly not what they need. If you know how to do that, how much more does God, your Father, know how to care for exactly what you need? Jesus is expanding his disciples' understanding of the Father's provision by demonstrating that whatever the situation, they can trust the Father for all things. The provision of the Holy Spirit is Jesus' way of saying that his children have every spiritual need provided in abundance and provided at exactly the right time. In abundance and exactly the right time. I love how Dr. Darrell Bach says it. He says, like a father who feeds his child, so the father will supply his disciples with the spirit they need to be guided in their spiritual life. At the foundation of all discipleship, is trust. Say that again. At the foundation of all discipleship is trust in the Father's goodness. He loves to provide for all of our spiritual needs. All right? God has given you, you, me, God has given us perfect provision today in His Spirit. My friend, wherever you are at, you can trust God. And you can go to God saying, God, I pursue you. God, I ask, give me exactly what I need this day for your glory. 
All right? So that's kind of the Old Testament context. Uh, the last context I want to look at this verse at with you is this. Uh, and turn back with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at the balance between worry and seeking God's kingdom. Worry and seeking God's kingdom. Because for many of us, worry can be something that steps in between whether or not we actively trust God or whether we trust ourselves. So, um, in Matthew chapter 6, shortly after he teaches this model prayer, one commentator calls this the commentary on the disciples' prayer, particularly this verse. Verse 25 says, this is why I tell you, Matthew 6 verse 25, this is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more important than food and the body more important than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you much more valuable than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all splendor, all his splendor was adorned like one of these. Worry. Now the word for worry in the Greek, we have it for you here. It's the word merimnao. I think we have it for you here. Yeah, merimnao. Say that with me. Merimnao. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's got a nice softness to it. Merimnao. All right, and it means to be worried or to concern or to be anxious for. Now, the scripture, it's used in two different ways. There's a positive connotation to worry or concern, and there's a negative connotation to worry or concern. I think that's, that, that's helpful. There's, there's proper concern, and yet there's concern that takes us beyond the realm of helpfulness. Um, <clears throat> Um, one of my seminary professors describes it this way. He, you can have a biblical concern over the things of God, or you can have an unbiblical concern over, um, you can have an unbiblical concern that can lead to sinful anxiety. So Dr. Thrasher ex explained it with a mathematical formula. All right, here's for the math people in here, of which I'm not one. Here it is for you. Concern plus unbelief equals anxiety. All right? The second way to look at it is concern plus faith. You could also put the word there, trust, all right? There's a lot of similarities between the two. But trust or faith in the Father's perfect provision is a biblical virtue. That's how he describes it, and I love that. Helps me to see it in a different way. Concern plus, plus unbelief or not trusting God with your concern leads to anxiety. But concern plus faith in God's perfect provision is a biblical virtue. Notice back at the text with me. <clears throat> and this is where faith and trust in the Father's perfect provision comes in. He says in verse 30, if that is how, um, he, verse 29, he's talking about the, the adornment of all these grasses and flowers. And he says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fur furnace, won't he much more clothe you, you of little faith? You of little trust. He says, verse 31, So don't worry saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? Why? Well, for the 
idolaters, the, the, the pagans, the heathens, the people who are not my children. He says, they seek after eagerly all these things, and your Father in heaven knows what you need. He knows exactly what you need. You need these certain things. I love it. He says to the, the idolaters, eagerly seek after all these things. The idolaters essentially ask, how will I do this? How will I go here? How will I, how will I, how will I how will I? Central to not trusting God is the word I. All right? It's, it's the idea that I am the one who must shoulder the concern and the provision for everything I need in life. How rather should we live? You likely know this verse. It's a fairly famous verse, but it's an incredibly powerful verse. He says, <clears throat> Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows you need food. He knows you need drink. He knows you need clothes. What should you spend your time doing? Seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. And then he says this. He says, therefore, therefore, I've said all this, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I said earlier, here's another photo of a bread vendor, or yeah, a bread vendor selling pita. Bread is a daily commodity. You don't make bread for days to come because then it becomes hard as a rock and you can't eat it and all this nonsense. Bread is something you make every single day in the ancient world. God's perfect provision for you comes every single day. I don't know about you, sometimes I'm worrying about what's coming in the next week or maybe the next month, sometimes even the next year. God, what are we going to do when this happens in April of next year or when this happens at Christmas of next year? One of the things worry can do is it can, it can rob our joy. It can rob our trust. It can rob our peace. And Jesus is saying, come to my Father. He perfectly provides everything we need for today. Let tomorrow carry, care for about itself. God is also there. He knows what you're going to face tomorrow. He knows what you're going to face the next day. Worry about today because today is the only thing, friends, that we are given. This is the only day we are given. Don't worry about the future. Worry about the now, but worry about it in a sense where we say, God, here are the concerns on my heart. I give them to you. God, I trust you with them. Thank you, Father, for perfectly meeting and sustaining my daily bread needs today. What does it mean to pray, give us our sustaining needs? Or our daily bread. First, it means to trust God's care for you. Second, it means to learn to be content in your situation because God knows your true needs. Third, it means to be focused on the here and the now, not next week, not next month, not next year. Be concerned and ask God for a passion for his will and his desire in your life right here, right now, today. 
It means to faithfully do what God has called you to do in his, in his word and by the leading of his spirit. Regardless of whether or not that makes sense, be faithful. Regardless of whether or not you think it's going to lead to the outcome you think, be faithful in what God has called you to do in his word and by his spirit. Let me ask you a question as we close. Where does God want you to rely upon his perfect provision in your life? Where does God want you to rely upon him for perfect provision in your life? Will you trust your life into God's capable hands? One of the reasons I think Jesus uses the image of father is because best understood in light of the biblical revelation of father, but, but some of you might get this even from a, a human relationship you have with your father. Father is one who comes in and brings strength, who brings steadiness, who brings a, it's okay. It's okay. I've got this. Especially if that may not be your past and in, in your memory of, of your father. Come to God this morning Trust him to care for your needs. Trust him to meet exactly what you have today. Um, we've got some cards for you today. I see them back there. If it has, would you guys hand those out? These are just prayer reminder cards. It's been an incredibly helpful practice for me to set an alarm on my phone for a couple different times a day to remind me to pray. In the, <coughs> in the early church, the disciples, uh, we know from, from some early primary sources that the disciples of Jesus prayed the disciples' prayer three times a day. We want to invite you into praying this at least two times a day. Spend at least a couple minutes at a certain time in your day and say, God, our Father in heaven, your name be sanctified. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can pray the words of the prayer. Or you can make them more uh, long in form and, and make those even more detailed for where the Lord has you right now. When you come to this week to God, give this today. Give us today our daily breads. You're praying, God, give me the needs that I need today. God, you know exactly the portion of food. You know exactly the portion of care I need in my life today. God, meet my needs today. And as you pray that prayer, allow that to be a prayer of trust between you and your Father. We're going to continue handing these out for a moment here. I want to invite our worship team to come up. And I want, and I want to pray with you. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Our Father, we are thankful that you are a good Father who anxiously and passionately pursues us and desires to meet all of our needs according to your riches and according to what is our needed portion for today. God, sometimes we worry about uh, how we're going to get by tomorrow or how we're going to care for this in the future. Lord, help us to find our contentment in you. Help us to trust that you have exactly what we need today. And even when that puts us in difficult positions, and our tendency may be to act in a way that is self-preserving, God, may the first action we take be to say, our Father in heaven, 
May your name be honored as holy in how I live. God, may your name be sanctified. God, may your kingdom come by how I live my life, by how I pursue your will, by how we, God, gather for your kingdom purposes, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, thank you for your faithfulness to your people. Thank you for the many ways in which you have been there for us and that you have reminded us that we are yours. We bless you. We bless you, God, for, for these many gifts. God, there's, there's some heaviness upon hearts today. There's some struggle within the lives of our people here at first. And God, I pray that this would be another moment for them to say, God, I give this again to you. God, I give this burden to you. I give this weight to you. I give this anxiety to you. I give this, um, this place in my life where I grasp a hold and try to control. God, I open my hands and I release this to you that your will may be done and that your glory would be established and your kingdom would be established. God, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift we have in being able to open it and to be taught by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check out fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.